starting at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard amongst you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. G'day, my name's uh, Pastor Carl. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, obviously, and uh, we're working through a series on Thessalonians at the moment. But before we get into that, there is Sunday school this morning, and now is the time for the kids uh, to head out. Uh, so what age group is that, Susan? Where is Susan? Susan, what age group is Sunday school? Four to grade two. Done. I never pay attention to that bit because I don't have kids. Uh, I go, how old is that? How old is four? I don't even know. So as I said, uh, we're working through, we've been working through Thessalonians and uh, we're finishing up uh, that this morning. This is our last week looking at Thessalonians. Next week we'll be beginning a series uh, looking at the parables of Jesus uh, that we find in Luke's account, uh, uh, Luke's account of Jesus' life in his gospel. But today we're looking at this last chapter, which is really a chapter that just has lots of commands, lots of kind of random commands, or it seems random. Uh, and it's the kind of list that you might give to somebody uh, if you were going to see them for the last time. So uh, if you were farewelling a friend uh, and you weren't going to see them for a while, you know, what would you say to them? Uh, you know, you'd say farewell, but what kind of advice would you give them? What kind of instructions would you give them? Uh, if your child was leaving home and moving into state uh, for work or for study or something like that, what would you say to them on the way out the door, you know, at the airport uh, the night before? What, what kind of instructions and advice would you give them? And really, that's what this list here is at the end of Thessalonians. It's a list of Paul's uh, last advice. At the end of his letter, he's finishing off his letter to these people and this is, these are the things that he wants them to remember. The last kind of bits of, of advice, the last commands from God before he signs off this letter. And although uh, Paul was writing this to a church in the first century, to the Thessalonian church, in their particular circumstances, uh, he wasn't writing it directly to us. Uh, although it was written to those people in those days, 
the list of things that he says here is still remarkably helpful for us in our time in thinking about what it means to be God's people, uh, living as God's church, living together uh, for God. There's commands here about leadership, about caring for one another, about communion with God, relating with God, um, about how to deal with words from God. Uh, So they're all kind of at the core of what it means to be God's people and what it means uh, to live as God's uh, church. They're not, I don't think, necessarily hard to understand commands, but they're the kind of commands that we keep needing to remind ourselves of. How is it that God wants us to live? And we have to keep reminding ourselves of those things uh, and living as God's people. So we're going to work through this morning these commands. They kind of fit into a few different groups. uh, And so we'll be working through them uh, in four groups. But before we uh, do that, let's pray and ask that God would help us to listen to these commands, which aren't maybe hard to understand, but hard to live out uh, in our own strength. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you teach us what it means to live for you and what it means uh, having been reconciled to you, having been saved by you through Jesus' death, having received his forgiveness for those of us who have entrusted our lives to him. Lord, thank you that you teach us what it means to then follow Jesus and to walk after him uh, and to live as he lived. Uh, Lord, please give us the strength to do that. We can't do that in our own strength. Lord, we need your spirit to empower us Lord, to give us ears to hear these words uh, and to give us the ability to do them, to put them into practice. Lord, we pray that you do that in each of our individual lives, but also, Lord, that you teach and train us together as your people here to build each other up in these things too, so that we might be holy and pure and blameless uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So there's four uh, groups of commands, as I said, and the first group that we see is in verses 12 to 13. Paul says there, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So the first thing that Uh, Paul wants these Christians to do is to respect their church leaders. He says that they should acknowledge them, uh, hold them in the highest regard and love them. Why is that? Why is that an important thing for them to do? What, What is the motivation, if you like, for them to do that, to love them and to hold them in high regard and acknowledge them? Well, Paul says there's three reasons uh, for which we ought to love them. The first, he says, is their hard work. Uh, The leaders of the church ought to be people who work hard for the sake of God's people. Uh, The elders and the pastors and the other ministry leaders uh, in our church, whether that's music or Sunday school or lots of other different areas, whether that's even maintaining the building and keeping the accounts of the church, the people who are responsible for those things uh, are often people who have full-time jobs. Uh, But they work tirelessly and devote huge amounts of time and energy so that we can grow in the faith. Uh, so that the gospel goes out uh, to the world. Uh, this year, as you would know, has been a, has been a crazy year. 
We've had more, as, as a kind of elders and pastors, we've had more session meetings in this year than I think we've had in the 10 previous years combined. Uh, there was a month there where I think we were almost, it felt like we were almost meeting every day. I think we were meet, not every day, every week. Uh, but the people, you know, for, for Pastor Steve and myself, I suppose that's not such a laborious thing, you know, where we've been set aside uh, for that. But there are other people who have full-time jobs, who come home from a full day of work and then have a three- or four-hour meeting. Uh, there are people who work hard uh, for the sake uh, of God's people, and, and God says to us, we ought to love and acknowledge and respect that uh, and hold people in high regard when they do that. But then Paul gives uh, two more reasons, he says, for us. The second reason to acknowledge, love and hold church leaders in high regard is because they rule for our good. The NIV translates that there, it says, because they care for you, which is part of it, but the ESV kind of brings out another dimension. Uh, the ESV says, because they are over you in the Lord. So the idea isn't just um, sort of caring, but it's exercising authority and leadership in a way that cares for the people. Now, I don't think in our culture we're used to loving people um, who rule over us. Uh, that's pretty much not something that we do in Australian culture. We, we, we don't uh, respect really, we're taught not to respect and love people who rule over us. Our culture teaches us to be suspicious of authority. Uh, it teaches us to resist authority and to do our own thing. It teaches us all to be armchair prime ministers and premiers uh, and whatever kind of public office you would like. Uh, we all have great ideas about how we could do a better job than those people who are actually doing the job. Of course, none of us would ever dream to run for political office, but we still have lots of ideas about what they could do. A friend of mine went to a soccer match uh, a little while ago, and his reflection to me afterwards, he's not a soccer fan. Uh, he's a mountain biking fanatic, uh, and soccer, you know, is the arch enemy. Anyway, but he went to this soccer match, and his reflection afterwards was really interesting. He said to me, you know, there were, I don't know how many people there are on the field in soccer, whatever, 22 or something like that, I can't even remember. Uh, there were 22 people on the, on the field, there was the coaches, you know, who devote their life uh, to playing soccer, to working out how to play, you know, to training, to doing all the right things, and there are 30,000, 40,000 people in the stands who all think they have a better idea about the way to play the game. You know, we just, and we just take that for granted, don't we? Uh, that's the kind of culture that we are in. Uh, but good leadership is not something that we should resist or be suspicious of, uh, but good leadership can be life-giving. Yes, bad leadership uh, is terrible, but good leadership can be life-giving. It can be life-giving if it takes us in a good direction, uh, if it protects us. Uh, even if it's not something, even if it leads us in a direction that we wouldn't have chosen to go ourselves, if it protects us uh, and does us good, then it can be life-giving. Now think of the Australian government's response to coronavirus. Uh, the federal government has, has largely kept us safe as a country. Uh, we're in a much better position here in Australia, particularly in Tasmania, than many other places uh, around the world. I, uh, I spoke to my friend 
uh, one of my friends, one of my colleagues in ministry in Victoria the other day, uh, and they have not met as a church since March. He wasn't allowed out of his house uh, except for a five-kilometre radius until a few weeks ago. Our government here has kept us safe. That has come at, a, at an enormous cost, hasn't it? Things have closed down, churches have closed down. We, we can still see the cost as we meet in church from week to week. But that good leadership has kept us safe. It's been life-giving, even though they probably made decisions that most of us might have found difficult or resisted or might even still resist. They made us stay at home. They closed down cafes. They closed down our church services. And yet, it was an exercise in loving leadership, making tough decisions for our good. And God says that we should honour that kind of leadership in the church as well. We should honour it, obviously, in society, probably more than we do, but we should especially honour that in the church. I think this has been a really tough uh, year to lead the church through. As I said before, it's, it's been a difficult year. There's been lots of meetings for us as church leaders uh, and for the pastors and for the elders and for the ministry staff and, and various ministry leaders. It's been really demanding. We've made lots of decisions uh, and we've had to make decisions that affect people massively and we've had to make decisions that we knew that some people wouldn't like. Some people would like and some people wouldn't like. That is tough to do. Uh, and we've had to decide to do one thing and not another. Uh, sometimes you have to choose between two bad alternatives rather than two good alternatives. That is a hard thing to do, but we've tried to do that. I think, if I can speak on behalf of the uh, others, we've tried to do that with other people's best interests at heart. We've tried to do that in love, uh, for your good. Uh, we won't always get it right, we'll make mistakes, and we, I'm sure we have. You can, if I asked you, you could probably list the mistakes uh, that you think we've made. But God says it's important for us to honour church leaders when they do that, when they make decisions on our behalf in pursuit of our best interests and our growth uh, in Christ. So we should acknowledge those who work hard, we should... Uh, Acknowledge those who rule over us for our good. Uh, third, we should acknowledge love and hold church leaders in high regard because they admonish us. Uh, so, if, so if loving people who exercise authority over us is hard, loving people who admonish us and rebuke us and warn us is probably even more um, difficult for us to come at. Nobody likes to be told off or rebuked. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if we took a survey that there would be no one in the church who put up their hand and said, yep, just love it. Just love it when someone tells me off. Um, but, that, but God says that's the, the responsibility of church leaders uh, and to warn us, they, they are to warn us and to rebuke us when we go astray. And rightly understood, that admonishment, that rebuke, that warning is actually a precious gift. I mean, it's better, is it not, to be warned uh, and to be rebuked than to perish, you know, than to die. It's better to, for somebody to say, don't cross the road, you're about to get hit by, by a car. It's, be, it's better to be, to be warned, isn't it, than not to be warned and to die. Uh, uh, it's better to be called back to true faith in Christ than to abandon the faith. 
Uh, it's better to be pulled up early when sin takes a hold in our life than to be destroyed by sin. So warning and rebuke can actually be a, a precious gift. Uh, David says in Psalm 140, uh, 141, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. And so, Paul says, when leaders, leaders in the church admonish us rightly, when they do it in love, uh, we should acknowledge them and love them on account of that uh, and hold them in high regard. Now, it needs to be said that leaders in a church may not do those things. They might not work hard. They might not rule over people for their good. Uh, and they might not admonish people uh, rightly and in love. But where they do, God says, we ought to acknowledge them and love them and hold them in high regard. It's important that we do that because if we don't do that, if we don't acknowledge and hold them in high regard and love them, uh, then they will stop making costly decisions for our good. Uh, If every time someone makes a decision, uh, if every time they do that we complain or we resist, then people will just stop making those decisions. They'll just say, well, you know what? We'll just take the easy course, which maybe isn't actually for people's good, but it's, I, I, can't, I don't have the energy to fight this fight. Uh, it's important to acknowledge, regard and love our church leaders when they admonish us, because if they don't, then they'll stop doing that. And we will become hardened in our sin and in our unbelief. And it's important to acknowledge, regard and love our church leaders when they work hard because if uh, we don't, and if every time they work hard on our behalf, we drag our feet, uh, then eventually they'll stop working hard. You know what it's like, don't you? To work hard at something uh, and then to to feel like it's it's all a waste of time or you're being taken advantage of. What happens? Eventually you just go... Well, I won't bother, I'll put my energy into something else. Paul says, God says, we need to acknowledge, love and respect those uh, in authority over us in the church. So that's the first thing, respect and honour biblical church leadership. Second, Paul says, care for each other. So it's not just the job of the leaders, but it's our mutual responsibility to care for each other. Paul says in verse 14 and 15, we... Uh, urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other uh, and for everyone else. As Graham mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there are different ways that we are to care for each other depending on the, the spiritual circumstances that people are in. Uh, Paul gives three different spiritual conditions here uh, as examples. He says, first of all, warn those who are idle and disruptive. So it seems that there was an issue maybe in the Thessalonian church about people who were lazy uh, and because of that they were disrupting the community because they were expecting other people to kind of look out for them and do all, uh, all the work for them. In 2 Thessalonians Paul addresses that concern and then he says in this letter in 1 Thessalonians back in chapter 4.11 he says that they should make it their ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we did. You know, so don't, 
disrupt everybody else's life, but, but work hard with your hands. Uh, God says that those who are idle and, just take, and who just take from others all the time are ultimately destroying the church community. Uh, and Paul says uh, that we need to warn them. The community needs to warn them. It's not just the leaders, but all of us need to warn them. So if you know somebody in that situation, uh, then God says that you need to warn them. You might know somebody uh, who is always taking um, and never giving back. Uh, Someone who's always receiving but never giving out. And, And God says we need to warn those people, warn those who are idle, warn those who are lazy. How do we do that? It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Uh, A good first step is to pray, to pray and to ask God that we've really understood the situation. You know, have I really seen this truly? Um, uh, Then to pray about having a conversation with them. Lord, please give me a chance to speak to them. Please help me to speak with grace and humility. Please help them to understand what what I want to say to them. Uh, And then third, obviously, to speak to them and to speak to them in love, to say, look, brother or sister, look, I'm just, I'm worried about you. It seems as though uh, you're always, uh, you know, you you don't really seem to do much for others. It seems that you're happy to take things from people but not willing to give. Um, We need to warn people. That's a hard thing to do. It's hard to receive. But we need to do that, Paul says, uh, for the sake of the health of the church. So he warned the disruptive, but we also encourage the disheartened. Someone who's disheartened is somebody who lacks really the will to go on. They've, they've lost the, the, uh, the motivation, the drive. They feel deflated. They feel disappointed. Uh, maybe they feel as though... Uh, they keep hitting brick walls, they try to get up and go again, and they just hit the same brick wall. Uh, maybe they're just tired, maybe they've ploughed them into, themselves into a kind of ministry and it just hasn't gone anywhere. And again, God says, if you know someone like that, then encourage them. Uh, get alongside them and encourage them to keep going. Encourage them to keep trusting God. You know, encourage them with the truth that, that uh, Christian life and Christian ministry is cross and resurrection shape. That is, death in us, but life in others. Uh, Christ, the Christian life and gospel ministry will kill you, but it will bring life uh, to others. Uh, and you may need to, in your encouragement, keep walking with them until they recover that confidence Uh, and that motivation. So we warn the disruptive, we encourage the disheartened, then we also help the weak. So if the disheartened are people who have lost the motivation to go on, the weak are people who are keen to keep going, but who just don't have the energy. Uh, The weak are those who are physically exhausted, who are worn out by life, who need to sleep, uh, but have too many things to do. They're uh, Those people don't need encouragement. If you say to a weak person, just keep going, just just keep running it out, Uh, they'll be like, "Uh, okay. They've got nothing left to give. What a a weak person needs is not encouragement to keep going, but help. They need someone to come alongside them and to lift the load. They want to keep going, it's just that they can't do it. 
They don't need counselling or warning. They need a helping hand. And so if you know somebody in that situation, then God says that you ought to help them. Uh, Then you come alongside them and give them a helping hand. And if you're in that situation yourself, uh, you want to keep going, but you just you feel weak and able, unable to do that, then a great thing to do is to ask for help. People don't always realise uh, what situation others are in, and so a great thing to do is to ask others for that help. Just to say to someone, look, I want to keep going. I want to I do this, but I, I just don't have the energy at the moment. Can you help me? Of course, the trick with warning, encouraging and helping is that we need to be careful to diagnose the situation correctly. Uh, If we don't diagnose the spiritual condition of those around us rightly, then we'll apply the wrong remedy and that will actually make things worse. So if you warn someone who's disheartened, if you warn them, you'll just crush them. Uh, If you help those who are idle you'll just confirm them in their laziness. If you encourage the weak, but don't help them lift the load, then they'll just burn out. We need to make sure that we prayerfully understand where people are at, diagnose their spiritual condition, and then seek to apply the right remedy uh, in God's grace. But Paul says no matter what the situation that they're in, in every situation there's one thing that we should always do and that is be patient, avoid paying back evil with evil uh, and always seek to do good for each other in the church and for those outside. Even if you don't know what their precise spiritual condition is, you can be patient and you can avoid paying back uh, evil with evil. So we respect and honour church leadership, we care for each other. Next Paul says, the third group of commands, we rejoice, pray and give thanks. Uh, These three commands in 16, 17 and 18 uh, form a group and they're all connected by their allness. I don't think that's a real word, but they're all connected by their allness. So um, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in everything. And they're really, these things are really about how we relate to God in our life. Uh, So how do we do that? Well, first, we always rejoice. And and interestingly here, rejoicing is a command. God doesn't say, wait until you feel like rejoicing and then get into it. He says, do it. Rejoice. Even if you don't feel like it. We're always to be full of joy. Not necessarily full of joy in our circumstances, but full of joy in God and who he is and what he's done. Our circumstances might be terrible, but we can always be full of joy. Paul had suffered persecution, he'd been beaten, uh, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been starved, he'd been sleepless, but he could say I, you know, that he would rejoice in the Lord always. We're to be full of joy for who God is. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the God who sustains everything by his powerful hand. He's the God who's sent his son to redeem us, to purchase us from the debt that we owed him because of our sin. He's the God who through his spirit dwells in us. We're to constantly rejoice, actively rejoice, be joyful because of all that we have in God and through God. 
Always rejoice. Second, we pray continually. To pray means really to ask, to seek from God the things that we need. Uh, And we are to do that without ceasing. Not in the sense that you never stop praying, you know, that every moment throughout the day you are praying, so you're trying to talk to me, but I can't talk back to you because I'm too busy praying to God. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what unceasingly means. He means do it and don't stop doing it. Don't give up. Pray regularly. Pray throughout the day. Pray as you go about life. Uh, We might feel bad uh, treating God like that. We might feel bad asking God for things unceasingly. We might feel pesky uh, or boring. Uh, But God says that's what he wants us to do. That's what it means for us, for him to be our father and for us to be his children. It means for us to come to him and ask, to ask for everything, even when we know that he knows that we need it. That's what it means for him to be God and for us to not be God. It means for us to be constantly acknowledging all through the day, Lord, I can't do this without you. Unless you are gracious to me now, I can't, I can't go on. I need your strength every moment of the day. Rejoice always, pray continually. Third, give thanks in all things. To rejoice is really to delight in who God is, I think, and who he is in himself. To give thanks is to be grateful for the gifts that God gives us. God has given us life, food, health, a home, a church, faith, salvation in Jesus. The things that we can give thanks for are endless and we are to do it in everything. Uh, Not just some things, but in everything. We can always be thankful to God for every single thing uh, that we have. To give thanks means to say to God, thank you, Lord, for giving me life again today. Wake up in the morning, Lord, thank you for a new day. Begin breakfast, Lord, thank you that you've given me food for the day. You see a, a beautiful bird fly overhead. Lord, thank you for the world that you've made. A beautiful world, a world to be enjoyed and experienced. We rejoice, we pray, and we give thanks in everything. Finally, uh, the last group uh, of commands uh, is, uh, in those last few verses, we are not to quench the Spirit, Paul says. He likens the work of the Holy Spirit here to a fire. uh, And we can either fan that fire into flame, as Paul says we ought to do in, uh, in 2 Timothy, uh, or we can put that fire out. Uh, but Paul says, don't put that fire out. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Well, what does that mean? Paul seems to have in mind a particular issue, and the particular issue he seems to have in mind is uh, what comes up in the next verse, in verses 20 to 21. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So the issue that Paul seems to have in mind is rejecting prophecies out of hand, that is, treating them with contempt. Uh, instead of rejecting prophecies out of hand, we, sh- uh, we shouldn't just accept them blindly also, he says. Instead, we should test them and hold fast to that which is good uh, and reject everything that is bad. 
But what does that mean? If there are any commands in this passage that are tricky to understand, maybe this is the most difficult. What does Paul mean when he speaks about prophecies and holding them in contempt? Uh, Two helpful things, I think, can be said about that. And that is, first, prophecy in the Old Testament uh, was not primarily concerned with, with kind of revealing the future, uh, which is how we tend to think of prophecy. You know, we might know it's going to... think we might know it's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, a, a blue dog will cross the road in front of you or something like that. You know, prophecy in the Old Testament was not concerned with that so much. Rather, prophecy in the Old Testament was almost always focused on addressing the present circumstances of the people of God, addressing the present circumstances of the people of God by calling them to repentance from sin and faith in God. Prophecy was about calling the people to repentance from sin and faith in God, and insofar as the future came into that, that, that you know, and, and the promise of what God was going to do through Christ, um, that's where it it came into it second at the heart of prophecy is not the future again per se but it's a message about jesus so in revelation chapter 19 verse 10 it says the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy so the core idea of prophecy is to unpack and to reveal the truth about jesus and the gospel now in the old testament by nature that was future looking because it hadn't happened yet So every time God said to the people, repent from sin and trust in me, he always pointed them forward to the cross. He pointed them forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, He pointed them forward to the return of Christ uh, and to the cleansing and the putting right of the whole world. So prophecy by its definition, because it was focused on Christ, had to look forward. And yet now that Christ has come, uh, we we continue to look forward in some sense god has revealed to us what will happen at christ's return but primarily we look back to what god has done in the cross we look back to jesus death and to jesus resurrection prophecy still calls people to faith uh, to repent from sin and faith in christ but it points back uh, to what god has done at the cross and so what paul is saying then is we ought not to despise those kinds of things those kinds of words those words that call us to faith and repentance and trust in the lord jesus christ so what does that mean on the ground um let me give an example of what that might look like so during covid during this whole situation uh some people have said that this that covid is god's warning to us as a world and maybe god's warning to us as christians in the west that we need to repent. So people have said, COVID is God's message to us that we need to repent and trust in Jesus. Now, there are two ways that we can respond to that. One way is to uh, despise that word and say, no, don't be ridiculous. It's got nothing to do with that. It is just a virus that's happened. This is not uh, the work of God. Uh, The other response Uh, is to say, absolutely, this is definitely the work of God. Uh, uh, God is is punishing Christians in the West because uh, of our sin and and name what it is. Paul says we ought not to do either of those things. We ought not to despise it. We ought not to accept it blindly. Instead, what we ought to do is hear it, 
Test it, receive what is good, and reject what is evil. We hear it, we test it against the scriptures, we pray, we discern, we accept what is good, and we reject what is evil. When someone uh, challenges us over our faithfulness as Christians or calls us to renewed obedience uh, or to a deeper understanding of the gospel, we ought not to dismiss that straight away. We ought not to accept it blindly straight away, but we ought to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. The Spirit applies the Word of God to our circumstances, to our lives individually and as a church, and so we should expect that the Spirit will bring those words to convict us of sin and call us to faith and repentance. So we're to respect and honour biblical church leadership, we're to care for each other, we're to rejoice, pray and give thanks, we're not to quench the Spirit but to listen, to test everything against the Bible. Finally, Paul gives us uh, the fuel, if you like, the confidence, the means by which we can do these things. These commands, they're big, they're expansive, they cover every area of life. Uh, And the Thessalonians and we too could come to the end of that list and think, oh, I'm a bit tired, you know, how are we going to do all this? And so Paul says in verse 23 to 24, he gives the secret uh, to success, if you like, and that is he prays to God for the Thessalonians. He says in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Although there are these commands that we need to keep in mind, these instructions as to what it means for us to live as God's people. At the end of the day, we need to fix our eyes on God. That Paul directs us to God. Uh, that is our hope. That is our source of strength. It's God, ultimately, who must do that work of sanctifying us, of uprooting the evil from our lives and, and, and transforming us in righteousness and holiness into the image of Jesus. It's God alone who can keep our spirit, soul and body blameless at the coming of Jesus. It's God who will enable us to honour our leaders rightly, to care for one another, to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks, uh, to receive the conviction and and the word of his Holy Spirit through the Bible, which convicts us of sin and calls us to faith and repentance. It's God who enables us to do that and we need to anchor our lives and our obedience to to God's commands in that prayerful focus on God and his grace. Let's do that now. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that uh, you've not uh, left us alone, but you've come to us through your spirit uh, to guide and equip us uh, by your word but Lord, also by by people. Thank you that you've established leadership in the church. Uh, And Lord, sometimes we can struggle with that um, because leaders make decisions we don't agree with uh, or uh, go in directions that we we don't think uh, is the direction that we might have gone in. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to recognise and acknowledge good leadership, Lord, where people work hard uh, and uh, make decisions for our good, 
uh, and where they admonish us even for our, for our good. Lord, we pray that you would help us to love, acknowledge, and respect that. Lord, help us too to care for each other. Help us to be mindful of the needs of others. Help us to rightly discern what people's needs are, whether uh, they need to be warned or rebuked or encouraged or helped. Lord, help us to do that with great patience uh, and with careful instruction. Lord, help us to commune with you every day uh, in joyfulness, in prayer, in giving thanks. Lord, uh, that is your will for us, to live in relationship with you in those ways every moment of our days, unceasingly. So, Lord, give us the grace to do that. Uh, And, Lord, help us to receive your words in the Bible, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, those words and messages which convict us of sin and call us to righteousness and faith through Christ Jesus. Lord, keep us from despising that, from quenching the Spirit's work among us, and keep us also from blind uh, uh, obedience to whatever people might say to us. But Lord, thank you that in all these things uh, we can trust in you and know that you are the one who empowers us, sanctifies us, uh, keeps us safe, forgives us, grants us uh, all that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, we uh, entrust all these things to you and we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.